0: Uh, And then one other thing before we begin is I just want to, this is kind of the the habit we like to do, is just take a minute to just pray and ask God to speak to us as we open His Word. So let me do that real quick. Dear God, I'm grateful for an evening to spend with all these people here. and I'm grateful for a chance to open your Word. Uh, You are the one who inspired it. Your Spirit is the one who gave it to us. And I pray right now that he would be the one who opens our hearts to understand and see this message for what it is. Speak clearly through me, Lord, and may you do the work I can't. I ask you that in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Uh, so as we begin here, I want to start by asking you a question real quick. Who can tell me, if you can see it, it's getting dark, who can tell me, I'll hold the lamp here, what this is. Anybody say, okay, Legos, the guess, y'all right. That is a really, really good guess, but this is not a Lego, okay? This is a Lego. This is a cheap knockoff version of a Lego that we have a lot of hanging around our house, and uh, I'll explain that in just a second. I want to talk to you a little bit about this. First of all, anybody super into Legos when you were a kid, Okay, anybody still super into Legos now? Handful, okay. Anybody, you know, can't walk past a pile of Legos without like jumping down on the ground and building a spaceship right then and there? Okay, yes, okay, there's some of you there. Alright, my kids had a period where they got crazy into Legos. And I loved it because I actually enjoy Legos too. I love getting to play with them. But when they got into Legos, we got this big tub of Legos from my mother-in-law. She gave us all these Legos that her boys used to play with back in the day. So we got this giant tub, which was awesome. It multiplied our, our kind of yeah, multiplied our group by crazy. We had all these Legos around. But there was this one problem, and that is that these Legos were super old, okay? Like from like the 1980s, all right, which is really, really old, okay? I know, I know for some of you that's almost unimaginable. I was only six years old back when the 80s ended, okay? Scott was only 32 years old when the <laughs> 80s ended. That's how far back it was. I got to, Scott, wherever you are, man, I'm so I got to stop making age jokes around him. I just, I just confessed to Scott that I've officially this year crossed into the old man territory with him. I didn't think I had, and then we were playing volleyball, and I remember going up and introducing myself to some of you new students. And don't pretend like you didn't. I saw it in your eyes. You were asking the question, "Who invited their grandpa to volleyball tonight?" <laughs> like I could see it. And so, I, I could, that's my last. That might be my last old man joke I get to make about Scott. But um, so anyway, so. These Legos were really old, and apparently they were so old that it was before Lego had had like all of their patent stuff worked out. And there were other companies around that time making these like cheap imitation version of Legos that look a whole lot like the real thing. Especially if you don't look too closely. They they look a whole lot like a regular Lego, and I can see why you would confuse it. But the thing is, they don't work like a regular Lego. They work okay. But there's something about the top of them, the studs there, where you can rest something on there, but they don't quite click together. So it'll sit, but like the slightest touch will cause it to fall off. And so inevitably what would happen is my kids and I would start building these different projects. We would be working on a spaceship or we would start working on a castle or something. And without noticing, as we were building all these things, a handful of these counterfeit Legos would kind of find their way into the project. And we wouldn't realize it until later when what we saw was that every Lego that was built on top of one of those little fake Legos was compromised, that it was weakened, and that whole side of the project would begin to crumble right as we were coming to the end of things. And I think that that right there is a decent picture of the human condition, of you and I. Tonight what I want to talk to you about is building. I want to talk to you about being builders and the kinds of things we build, and and specifically how we build those things. Uh, The Bible tells this story that God is the ultimate creator-builder of all things. That in the beginning, the very first words of the scriptures, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he made a good and beautiful world, a world that reflects his goodness and beauty and honors and glorifies him. And then he created human beings like you and I in his image. And there are a number of things that that being made in the image of God means. It means that every human has inherent dignity and worth. It it means that we're designed to reflect his character and nature and to be in relationship with him. But, But it also, I think, means that just like God, you and I are designed to be builders. We're designed to create and to build a good and beautiful life just like God created and built a good and beautiful world. And that is actually what every human being is doing, recognize it or not. All of us are building something. All of us, from the time we're little, get to work on the project that is me. And don't hear me when I say building stuff. Don't just think externals like building a career or building, you know, a business. I mean like the holistic picture of who you are. That's what I'm talking about. The kind of person you are and the kind of relationships that you establish and the sphere of influence and the kind of world that gets created around you, that's what I'm talking about. Every one of us is building. Now, it's a lot more obvious and kind of in front of us at this age and stage Because all of you guys are at this point where you've stepped away from where you were younger, and now you're beginning to make decisions about what kind of person you're going to be. What kind of career you want to pursue? What kind of stuff you're going to study? What kind of things you're going to value? What kind of things you're going to run after? And so it becomes very obvious at this time stage. And for some of you, that gets really, really exciting. A world kind of of endless possibilities. I get to construct something and I can set the direction for how things are going to work and build something that I want to build. For some of you, that's kind of sad because you spent the last 18 years of your life building something and you had this kind of reputation and you had this kind of thing going on at your school and these kind of relationships and it feels now like all of that starts over. I'm telling you right now, it doesn't actually start over. Your reputation might. Some of your relationships aren't, but the the building project is still in continuation. And for some of you, that idea freaks you out. Knowing what the heck you're supposed to do with your life, and and, uh, how am I supposed to know what kind of person I want to be at 19 years old? How am I supposed to know what I want to do with my life, what I want to live my life around at this age? And that can be a scary thing, but for all of us, It's something that we're going to do. Here's the thing. I I want to talk to you tonight about two things. I don't actually want to talk to you about what you're going to build. I I want to talk... Build... I don't know how that that word came out like that. I made the word build two syllables right there. Build. Um, I don't want to talk to you about what you're going to build. I actually want to talk to you about uh, how you're going to build. Like the materials that you're going to use. I want to talk to you about what you're going to build on. So what you're going to build with and what you're going to build on. First, let's talk about what you'll build with. I told you that all of us were made in God's image to build, and the idea was this, that as we were made in His image, as we went around connected to Him, building according to His design, the the plan was that you and I and everyone else would begin to build this beautiful and amazing world where God was rightly honored, where people knew Him as He was, and where human beings could flourish, where people were loved and cared for. That was the goal from the beginning, but that's... Not what happened. Instead, the Bible says that what we chose to do was reject God's purpose and plans for our lives, and we decided we want to build our own little kingdoms. We want to build our own project. I don't want anybody telling me how to build. I don't want anybody telling me what I'm supposed to put together. I'm, I'm in charge of my own building project. Thank you very much. And I'll get to work on that. And and when that happens, the Bible has a word for that, when we reject God and his plans and purposes and push it aside to set ourselves up in charge, it's called sin. And the really interesting thing about sin is, I don't know if you realize this or not, but sin is not just something that I do. Sin does something to me as well. And the story goes that when I chose to rebel and push God aside and begin my own little building project, something, something happened inside of me. Something got twisted inside of me. And, and it's, like, it's like I kind of turned in on myself and I found myself becoming more naturally self-oriented. This is the story of every human being to become more obsessed with self. I find myself being the kind of person who, whether he realizes it or not, uses other people for my own purposes and for my own goods. I find myself becoming inherently prideful. I find myself becoming inherently hurtful. It's like, it's like someone took the original heart that, had, that I had there that was placed in me and replaced it with some cheap knockoff version of it. It's like someone took all the original Legos that make up who I am, my life, my mind, my heart, my will, and replaced it with these imitation blocks that might look like the same thing, but they don't hold together. And things at that point begin to crumble. This is actually a truth that's pretty clear to most everybody. Whether you're religious or spiritual or whatever you want to call yourself or not, Most people, I would say everybody, is able to look around and see the results of this, that the world we live in is a broken and messed up place. It's a world that's filled with hate and injustice and violence and abuse and all kinds of things in it. What is that? That's the result of billions of people choosing to build their own little kingdoms with imitation blocks with imitations of the real thing, and pretty soon everything begins to crumble uh, uh, around us. And, and, and the truth is, if we're honest, not only are we able to see that around the world, but we're able to see that in ourselves. That not only is the world not the kind of world that we want, but, but that I I'm not the kind of person that I want to be, that I know I ought to be something better than this. I know I ought to be something more than this. Something inside of me cries out inside that I ought to be something else, that I was made for something bigger than this. And everyone sees it, and everyone has always seen it. And so the question that people have been asking for all of human history is this, what do we do? When I realize that something's wrong in the world, when I realize that something's wrong in me, what do we do about that? Well, there have traditionally been basically three major answers throughout history as to how we fix this problem. The first first way that people have dealt with this problem is to basically deny it. To pretend like everything's okay, like nothing's really wrong, at least not with me. I mean, clearly, I can look around at the world around me and I can see, yeah, it's a messed up place, but me, I'm fine just the way I am. And I would say that this is the predominant message of the world today, that that uh, we are, find the way we are, that we ought to live the way we want to live, that no one should have the right to tell me how to live. And so you hear things like, you do you, and you live your truth, and you shouldn't change who you are for anyone, and any of those kinds of things, and that all sounds so good on the surface. There's something about that that sounds so genuine and authentic, right? To just live the life I've live or be the person I am, to live my truth, it sounds so real, but there's something about that that just doesn't work. I mean, first of all, uh, if it's true that you don't need to change anything about you, you need to live your truth, and you don't need to change anything about you, you need to live your truth, and you don't need to change anything about you, then that means that nobody needs to change anything. But you can look around and, and kind of figure out, somebody needs to change something, right? Somebody needs to change, and, and the, the truth is, I think, all of us need to change something inside of us. And, and honestly, you don't even have to look around. Like I said, I think, I think most of us, if we're able to be honest with ourselves, can feel it. That I'm not who I ought to be. So the second way that most people have dealt with this, and this has been probably the traditional method, this is the way that most of the world, for most of human history, has taken care of this problem, and that is someone will come on the scene and they will call themselves a prophet or a religious teacher or a leader or an influencer or a life coach or whatever you want to call it, and they'll say, you're right, things are messed up, things are not the way they ought to be, and I have come to show you how to fix it all. And if you'll just follow my religion, or if you'll just buy my self-help book, or if you'll just follow me on Instagram, then I can give you the life that you have always wanted. And I'm just going to fast forward and just tell you right now that what we've discovered over time is that that way never works either. And the problem with that way is is not that these people come and give bad ideas. Often they have really good ideas. They may have some really great wisdom for me, but the issue is that no matter what kind of instruction manual they may give me, I'm still building with flawed blocks i still got a messed up heart. i still got a selfish will inside of me. I still turn inward on myself instead of out towards other people and up towards God. And so it doesn't matter what kind of rules and techniques you give me. I don't need more manuals. I don't need more rules. I need a new me. And that's where the third way comes in. That's where Jesus comes in. And when Jesus steps on the scene, he's different than everybody else who has come before him and everybody else who has come after him because he doesn't just come with techniques for you and he doesn't just come with rules for you and he doesn't just come with a new religion for you to follow and guidelines. I mean, yes, he comes to show us how to live, what it looks like when people know and love God and then know and love others. He calls it the kingdom of God. But Jesus doesn't say that you muscle your way into it through a lot of hard work and effort. He doesn't tell you if you'll just follow these 10 steps then you'll have it all figured out. No, what Jesus comes and he tells you you don't have the ability to get into this. You can't do it yourself. And what I've come is to give it to you. I've come to give you the new blocks. I've come to give you a new you. That's what Jesus does. Through his death on a cross, what Jesus did was he paid for all my sins, all my rebellion, all those jacked up, messed up building projects that I've been trying for so long, and all the wounded people I left behind me, and all the hurts I inflicted on not just them, but on me, and all the hurts I inflicted towards the Creator when I tried to shove him out of the way. Jesus comes to wipe all of that away through his death on a cross. And then through his resurrection, Jesus comes to make a new me and a new you possible. He comes to defeat death and give us new life. Here's the big word that theologians use to describe this process. It's called regeneration. But it it basically just means this, that the old me that was bound up and corrupted by sin dies off with Jesus and that a new me who is finally able to see things rightly and finally able to believe and live and know as I ought to that that one emerges and the really cool thing is that this is available to anyone Anyone who will put their faith in Jesus. This is what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. And if you have trusted in Jesus, maybe you are here, maybe you you were baptized when you were nine. You placed your faith in him when you were ten. You've done that. This is you. No matter whether you can feel that or not, no matter what it looks like, the promise is not, by the way, that we'll be perfect and that we'll have everything figured out the moment we place our faith in Jesus. The promise is that something new has begun in us, something that Jesus is going to help us see all the way through. If that's not you, if, if as Alex said tonight, maybe the church thing is not your scene, maybe, maybe you're not really sure what you believe about Jesus first, man. So glad you're here. And I hope you keep coming even if you're not sure, even if, even if you're still not sure after a little while hope you're here, but I just want you to know you essentially have three options. You can go on denying and acting like everything's fine when something inside of you is going to keep crying out that it's not. You can try to work hard and be good enough and be religious enough and be moral enough and be fit enough and be whatever it is enough, but that's just going to exhaust you. Or you can come to Jesus and you can be made new. But for the rest of you, who've already made that decision to follow him, there is that one more question, and I just want to spend like four more minutes on this. Not, a, not the uh, what are you building with, but what are you building on? What are you going to build on? For many of you, you've already been made new, but it matters what you build your life on, what the foundation is, because the foundation will determine the shape of your life. So I said we're in 1 Corinthians this year. 1 Corinthians, if you want to go to chapter 3 real quick, I want to read two verses to you, three verses actually. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to a church that he had started in Corinth, that he had planted there in Corinth. And there's this point in chapter 3 where he begins to describe the church as a building project. And he says that he came and he started it, that he laid the foundation, but other ministers, other preachers have come and they have started to build on top of that. Here's what he says, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 9. For we are God's co-workers, he says, and you, the church, are God's field, God's building. According to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it. But each one is to be careful how he builds on it, for no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid down. And that foundation is Jesus Christ What Paul says is it is impossible to build any sort of church community on something else. There are a lot of churches that try. There are a lot of churches that try to build their church on the personality and preaching of some really incredible, talented speaker. There are a lot of churches who build themselves around being really moral and really religious and better than everybody else. There are a lot of churches who try to build their foundation on being a good church and and fighting for a good cause like social justice, good things, but churches built on those things will always crumble because there is only one thing that can sustain the weight of eternity and the eternity that hangs in the balance when we talk about human lives, and that is Jesus and the gospel of Jesus, who he is and what he's done for us. And what Paul takes pains to show us through this letter, 1 Corinthians is a really cool letter. It's the most wide-ranging of all the topics uh, of all the books in the New Testament. It covers so many different topics from idolatry to uh, marriage to singleness to sex and divorce and to lawsuits and to food and even topics that hopefully we never deal with. Like, what do you do when somebody's sleeping with their stepmom? Okay, Like, for real. These are the kinds of things that Paul answers in this book. But every time he answers it, what you're going to discover is he always brings the answer back to the foundation. And he says, if you want to know how you live your life in this area, you first look down to what's been given to you in Jesus Christ. Who he is and what he's done is going to determine the rest of your life in every other area. Jesus, this is my fear for a lot of people, maybe even here, who like Jesus a lot, is that Jesus has become a nice add-on to your building project. That he's like that accent wall in your house, you know, the little shiplap there. Jesus makes it all pretty and everything, right? Ups the value of the home a little bit, ups the resale value, and it's really nice, and I like that. And everybody can kind of look at it when they walk in and ooh and all over Jesus and what he's done in my building project. But the truth is you haven't made him the foundation of what your life is going to be about. No, no, no. At the foundation is, is you and your own personal happiness or your own success or your own financial security or... Somebody else, some relationship, some guy or girl that you think you need to make you happy or some really great cause that you want to give your whole life to. All okay things, but none of those things will sustain the weight of eternity and none of those things will allow you to build the kind of life that God has designed for you to build. And my heart and goal for you for this year, our heart and goal for you as we walk through this book is to have a gospel-shaped life a life built on Jesus, who he is and what he's done. And we're going to see what that looks like in everyday life as we read through this together. I'm excited to go through that with you. Here's what I want to do as we close out tonight, though. I want to give you just a couple minutes to reflect. And you can write these questions out. You can think about them in your head. You can whatever you want to do. I want to give you a couple questions to ask. The first is, how am I trying to build my life? And this is for maybe some of you in that that category if you haven't really known what to do with Jesus yet. And I ask this question, am I trying to build my life by just pretending like everything's okay and I'll just be me and everything's going to work out? Or am I trying to have a lot of great effort and always be the guy who's going to church or always be the guy who does good things or always be the girl who's really nice and, and try to make myself into a good person? Or am I letting Jesus make me new? First question, how am I building my life? Second What am I building my life on? Is it Jesus or is it something else? And if it's something else, what is that thing? Take a couple minutes, think on that, and then we'll close out.